When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just $60, bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hello, I'm Jim Daduchu, and this is Condensed Histories. And what we do here is we take a piece of pop culture and reveal how just humming underneath the bonnet... There is actually some real history going on, and then I condense it for you rather than going on and on and on. So let's jump into it, shall we? This time round, oh boy, I've been having quite the ride, and I'm sure a lot of you have too, with WandaVision, which means we're going to have to talk about an entire form of comedy and the evolution of a modern piece of media as well as the most ambitious piece of storytelling for the last hundred years. Well, if that doesn't sound like it's worth listening to, I don't know what is. So, what is WandaVision? Well, unless you've been living under a rock, or possibly have zero interest in either Disney or the Marvel cinematic universe, which interestingly is no longer cinematic, because what this is, is a streamed TV show on Disney+. Plus. But it stars two of the comic book characters, two of the superheroes that have been in all these Marvel movies that have been coming out since 2008. Now, a lot goes on in this TV show, which I'm going to be, I'll be blunt, gushing over, okay? This is a monumental piece of storytelling. This is remarkable on so many different levels. But because it's the mystery of the journey, I'm going to be spending the vast majority of my time talking more about the first three or four episodes and, and really things from, how can I put it politely, from Wanda's point of view, rather than from, if you like, the entire plot and what's going on. So if you haven't watched WandaVision yet, first of all, I really encourage you do so. I, you know, I'm sure you've got a friend out there who might have Disney+. Plus. Check it out. So don't worry, I'm not going to be giving things away. And at the time of recording, the entire series hasn't actually come out yet. So you're safe with me, okay? I can't even say, and it turns out it's all a dream because, do you know what, that's part of the plot. But then it wasn't all of a dream. I So you can see it all gets a bit, a bit confusing. So where to start with this one's quite hard. So uh, what I'm actually going to do is start with comic books because this particular podcast is going to bring in comics, TV, streaming, and movies. So there's a lot going on here. 
So who the hell is Wanda? WandaVision is a very clever name for the TV show because I think we're all aware of various X-Visions, Technovision and things like that, sort of forms of like cinema scope. These sort of weird words that have something to do with some kind of film quality or some kind of viewing experience. But it stars two superheroes. One's called Wanda Maximoff and the other one is called Vision. Okay, so when you put those two names together, you get WandaVision. So it's already working on two different levels, just the name of the program. And believe me, we're going to get super meta in a minute. But Wanda is the, the core of this. Who is Wanda? Well, her name is Wanda Maximoff, but she was known in the comic books as Scarlet Witch. Virtually every single superhero in both Marvel and DC, these are the two main publishing houses of comic book characters, and amongst, how can I put it? I'll put it politely, comic aficionados. <laughs> geeks, as some people might say, there is a bit of a war between Marvel and DC. Because the reality is, they've both got good stuff. On Marvel's side, there is arguably the most popular superhero of all time, Spider-Man. You know who I am? I do. Your friendly neighborhood Spider-Man. And there's also the Avengers, including people like Iron Man and Thor. So yeah, those are all cool, for sure. But then on the DC side, you've got stuff that might be considered slightly edgier, depending on which era we're talking about. So we're looking at Batman. I'm Batman. And Superman and The Flash. So, yeah, OK, th those are all sort of great superhero characters, too. All right. Although irony is Batman has no superpowers, but let's not go into that. So they are tonally different. It's a bit of a shame that they, they very rarely interact. There was a period in the late 80s, early 90s, where there were actually some crossover stories and things like that. But they're now very jealously guarded by their two parent companies. Marvel is owned by Disney and DC is owned by Warner Brothers, at least when it comes to things like movies and, and TV shows and stuff like that. So you ain't gonna see Superman popping up in the middle of a Spider-Man movie anytime soon. However, before Disney bought Marvel, Marvel decided to really roll the dice and actually spend a lot of money on a superhero movie that came out in 2008. It was called Iron Man, and they took a real chance with Robert Downey Jr. I am Iron Man. Now, Robert Downey Jr. is a man who's got quite the past, but he's also, our people forget, he is Oscar nominated for one of his earlier roles as well as Charlie Chaplin in the biography called Chaplin, funnily enough, okay? How'd you do, sir? So that's a Richard Attenborough biography, and he did a remarkable job in that. However, Moving from the 20s to 30s, Robert Downey Jr., how can I put this politely, had his demons. He was in and out of trouble with the law. And while he was putting out some potentially very good work, if you like, his private life was spilling out into his professional life. And it's a period where he was wasting his abilities. But he cleaned himself up. There's an excellent movie which he sort of came back and proved his worth called Kiss Kiss Bang Bang, which is a really great film. If you like things like Lethal Weapon, then you might like Kiss Kiss Bang Bang. And he also started doing the Sherlock Holmes movies with Guy Ritchie, and he's a great Sherlock Holmes. 
So he was beginning to rehabilitate himself, but also weirdly for somebody who's now sort of in their late 40s going into their 50s, appealing to a younger audience than he had done before. And there was a famous incident where Channel 4 were actually interviewing Robert Downey Jr. about uh, an upcoming superhero movie. I can't remember which one. It probably was something like The Avengers. And they decided, I guess, I mean, they were within their rights to ask this stuff, but it was kind of not the point of this particular interview to start asking him about his demons. And he sort of got up and left and, and basically said, look, this is a kid's film. I'm here to talk about a kid's film. I don't really want to be talking about all this stuff. And it's not really very fair. Oh, my God, that sounds like the Batmobile's about to get me. I live on a really fairly, fairly suburban road, so that was that was one heck of a muffler malfunction. Somebody obviously thinks that if it's the louder the car is, the faster it goes. And here's a clue for you kids out there: it doesn't. It just irritates the neighbours. All right. Anyway, let's get back to it. So Robert Downey Jr., if you like, launched the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And there's sort of like little references in the first movie, that just the original Iron Man that came out in 2008 to things that might happen in the future. But there was no indication in the first Iron Man that things would get as big as they would. Interestingly, it came out the same summer as The Dark Knight. And there can be no doubt that The Dark Knight is simply a better movie than Iron Man. But the first Iron Man is a really fun superhero film and if you like that's the difference between marvel and dc you know marvel is just just a bit more fun i'm gonna say most of the marvel movies are four star i'm not entirely sure any of them are actually five star because this overlapping storytelling it's almost like you have to see a bunch of movies to get the most out of this movie which is very clever this is why i'm saying about ambitious storytelling but i'm not sure that any one film in isolation on its own in let's say 30 years time is going to be studied at film school as opposed to something like the dark knight that might be studied at film school look don't get me wrong i love my marvel films i can't wait to see another one on the big screen next one out should be black widow and seeing the whole epic marvel logo animated logo with all the superheroes coming in with the big fanfare music at the front of wandavision makes me and the entire family all sort of go oh we miss this stuff because you do want to see this on a big screen I've got sidetracked there to sort of explain the background. So, Wanda and Vision. So, Wanda is known as Scarlet Witch in the comic books, and she's actually an X-Man. She is part of the mutant world. What on earth do I mean by that if you don't know what I'm talking about? Things like Magneto, Wolverine, Professor X, Cyclops. You know, the, the Hugh, Hugh Jackman movies, okay, if you're a little bit unclear. But they are never referenced in the actual Marvel Cinematic Universe. And indeed, when we first get Scarlet Witch in a movie, which was in the second Avengers movie called Avengers Age of Ultron, Wanda has a brother called Quicksilver. He's very fast, a bit like The Flash, but he's not as fast as The Flash. And he is introduced in Avengers Age of Ultron, and he is killed in Avengers Age of Ultron, which is uh, surprising. Also, in the Marvel movies, hardly anybody dies and stays dead, but Quicksilver is definitely dead. However, at the same time, with the X-Men movies being produced then by Fox, which has now been bought by Disney, they did also have, they didn't have Wonder in it, but they did have Quicksilver in it. And that Quicksilver from the X-Men movie, everybody agreed was better than the Quicksilver in the Marvel movie. And I'll come back to that in a, in a little bit. 
but it was a really fun scene. If you like the the big standout scene of X-Men Days of Future Past, which is a very good X-Men movie, arguably the best one. In that one, there's basically a scene where a bunch of people are about to be attacked by all these guards and then Quicksilver suddenly runs. And you then see it from his point of view. So everything's now in super slow motion and he basically crosses people's gun paths and sort of like puts a frying pan over people's heads. And then it sort of speeds up to normal time. And then, you know, everybody just, it all just goes massively off and, you know, all the cops are sort of knocked unconscious. And it's just a great gag. It's also a great sort of example of showing the powers of a super hero. So anyway, anyway, we've got Wanda. Now, the thing is, in the comic books originally, the reason why Wanda's a mutant is because her dad is Magneto, and therefore Quicksilver, her brother, is also Magneto is daddy. But this was not allowed in the movies. Mutants was owned by Fox. They they had to call them our little miracles rather than mutants because they just weren't allowed to use that. And because Magneto was also in the X-Men movies, they couldn't use Magneto. So all of that from the comic books has been changed for the movies and now the TV show to fit in with Wanda's powers. So... As you can see, to really understand all of this, you're going to have to read comic books, you're going to have to watch multiple movies, and then you've got this TV show. And the thing about WandaVision is, when we first started getting trailers for it, people were going, what? And you might be sitting there going, I know, Jem, or if you don't know what I'm talking about. So everything I've just described, if it's a TV show, obviously it's going to have a smaller budget, so there aren't going to be quite as many exploding cities and things like that. But you would expect superhero activities. Maybe Wanda and Vision are sort of working together at street level crime, which is cheaper than sort of like massive universal invasions. But no, the footage was of Wanda and Vision. Oh, and by the way, Vision, who I haven't really described, he's a robot. He is a bright red faced robot who was created many decades ago in the comics, but in Avengers Age of Ultron, Ultron is a baddie robot and he wants to create his own weapon. And actually the goodies, including Iron Man and Black Widow and Captain America and the Avengers as a whole, they thwart him and stop him and they make this weapon good and he becomes called Vision, okay? Well, the Vision. And Wanda and the Vision fall in love, which is a bit weird, I grant you. This is what you might think. Wanda and Vision fighting crime. That would be a cool TV series. But there's two things you need to know. One, Vision was killed technically by Wanda in another Avengers movie called Avengers Infinity War. See, it gets a bit complicated. So therefore, the fact he's dead and this show, everyone was saying, oh yeah, this show is after he dies. It's like, well, what? what? And secondly, and most importantly, you have Wanda and Vision wearing 1950s appropriate outfits in clearly the set of some kind of sitcom. And in the history of superheroes, be it the 1970s Richard Donner Superman movie, be it the very early 2000s X-Men films, or the modern Marvel movies, or the Dark Knight, Nobody has ever started crossing different genres like this. And it's like, how? Why is Wanda and Vision in something like, I don't know, I Love Lucy? And also, more importantly, and this is where it's so brave, I grew up watching some of these black and white sitcoms. Not the first time round. I'm not that old. But, you know, they were, they were cheap to 
show again on things like BBC Two. So, you know, if you were a kid of the 80s, you might well have seen, well, I remember a TV series that did compilations of silent comedy called Hooray for Harold Lloyd. Harold Lloyd is a kind of forgotten comedy genius from the same era as Buster Keaton and also Charlie Chaplin. And, you know, Hooray for Harold Lloyd, I even had a theme tune to it, and I saw watch that. Also, the original 1930s Flash Gordon comic strip B-movie things, um, Saturday matinee things that the kids would have seen in the 1930s was again being repeated 50 years later on British TV, as was some of the 1950s sitcoms from America. So whereas I got it, I was having to keep pausing and explaining to my kids, it's sort of like, you do get that this is actually deliberately referring to some types of TV shows that you've never seen before. And they were like, yeah, I get it, Dad, I get it, Dad. But they kind of didn't. And the attention to detail, what Wanda is wearing in the first episode is that classic 1950s A-line dress. See, I've, I've learned that with a petticoat underneath it and heels and wearing a little apron in the kitchen over her good clothes, which is exactly what Lucy would have done in I Love Lucy or indeed any good domestic housewife of the 1950s. But that is not something you've seen on TV for 60 years and is not anything like the background for Wanda. So what on earth is going on and how can I get some history out of this? So once I've just about got round my head the first episode, which while Wanda and Vision are clearly the real Wanda and Vision, they are doing absolutely the script, or shall we say classic type of script that you would have got from a sitcom from the 1950s. You know, you know, hilariously using her powers to fix silly problems because the boss is coming over for dinner and Vision wants to impress the boss. <laughs> you know, all this kind of stuff is typical sitcom territory. And while my head was reeling, they move to the second episode, and it's now something out of the 1960s, and oh yeah, the intro is different and very 60s appropriate as well, and the clothing's changed as well. It's still in black and white, but right at the end of the episode, they go colour, which would have happened in the 1960s. And then there's the 1970s, and they got sort of like the black friend suddenly has an afro rather than wearing the clothes from the 60s, and Paul Bettany, who plays Vision, you know, he's, he's got great 70s hair and sideburns. He looks amazing in his 70s incarnation. Just so you know, Vision generally looks like a red-faced robot, but in front of humans can change his features so he looks human, if you like, so as not to scare them, with hilarious consequences. <laughs> That's episode three, Ep by episode four. I think you can work out the patterns. We have the 60s, 70s, uh, 50s, 60s, 70s, so it goes to the 80s, and the intro there is very, very similar to Family Ties. Please, I encourage you to go onto YouTube and have a look at WandaVision episode four opening credits and Family Ties opening credits. Now, Family Ties is a very much forgotten sitcom from the 1980s, but actually it was very important because there was, it was a story of a family. All these sitcoms that they're riffing on are family sitcoms. So when they went to the 90s, I was kind of hoping they were going to do Friends because there wasn't a bigger sitcom in the 1990s than Friends. But of course, that's about young people starting their lives. But this is about Wanda and Vision and their two kids. Yeah, they've now got two kids, magically. It's, it's crazy, this program. 
but in 1990s they actually riff on Malcolm in the Middle. It might be 90s, it might be early 2000s. I'm not quite sure which one on that one. But anyway, so the point is they're, they're always going for the family sitcoms rather than other perhaps better known sitcoms. But briefly, back to Family Ties, 1980s. So it's a family sitcom, and the rather precocious teenage son in Family Ties was this guy called Michael J. Fox. It was the big break for Michael J. Fox, and because he had such a tight contract with Family Ties to film it, and all these sitcoms, you know, you get like 25 episodes a year. You know, it is hard work. You know, you get the scripts, you've got a week to rehearse it, then you film it in front of a live studio audience. And yeah, so I mean, it's it's really, really time consuming compared to like a British sitcom where you might get something like six episodes per season of, of you know, and they are glorious six episodes of like Blackadder or Faulty Towers or The Office. And yeah, in a America, they have writing rooms. Whereas something like Faulty Towers was written by John Cleese and Connie Booth, the fact is that something like Friends, you would need, it's impossible. Friends has hundreds of episodes. You can't have like two people just churning them out. So what do you do? You have a writing room of like 10 comedians and 10 comedy writers, and those people change season to season, you know, whether they like it or not, or whether they're delivering the goods or not. And, you know, this person over here might be a specialist on Joey type jokes. And, you know, over here we got the Monica crew doing the gags for Monica. And so it allows them to just churn out far more, which, you know, to be fair, are also very high quality, both ways of doing it are valid. This is a bit like Marvel and DC. Both ways are good. They're just different. Okay. So anyway, back to Michael J. Fox. So he's doing Family Ties. He's becoming a big star. And in the meantime, there's this film called Back to the Future. Now, just so you know, he was not the first choice for Marty McFly. I'm not going to go into the actor who was first choice because the problem with that actor was he was good but he just wasn't gelling. He just didn't have the right energy. And there is some footage of him doing literally the scenes that you know from Back to the Future, and it just feels a bit off. Now, obviously, now we're used to Michael J. Fox doing it, so suddenly this individual had to be set to one side, no hard feelings, but where do we get Marty McFly? We've started filming this really expensive movie, so they went to Michael J. Fox, but he was in the middle of filming Family Ties. This is why so much of the first Back to the Future is at night time, because Michael J. Fox was basically having to work seven days a week, five days a week on Family Ties, then in the evenings of those days doing Back to the Future, and then if you've got some daytime shots you need to use for Michael in Back to the Future, you're gonna have to film them on a Saturday or Sunday. So he was exhausted making that film and also doing Family Ties. But yeah, have a look at how close those two opening credits are. Another bit of genius is each episode has an, a mid-break commercial break for a made-up product which actually is hinting at what's going on in the plot. This is so meta, it's unbelievable. When you want to get away, but you don't want to go anywhere. Hydrosoak. Find the goddess within. Because if you like, think about this from the point of view of a writer. Okay, we all know Wonder and Vision from these big superhero movies, so you're going to have to allude to their history to keep the fans happy. You can't pretend that they're completely different characters. Hold up. 
What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. So, on the one hand, you need to know your Marvel movies. And also, you need to know what superheroes have to do in situations. But then, particularly for the first two episodes, you have to write convincing, good, period, comedy, sitcom. It's amazing. And then, as it develops and you start realising why it's all happening in the 50s, 60s, 70s, etc., you've then got completely different types of needs of writing and drama that's now rubbing against this sort of weird alternate universe of sitcoms. Genius, genius stuff. It really is. You know, I applaud these people. You know, you can do a lousy job of doing the sitcom, but a great job of doing, if you like, the action and the drama. And that's kind of what everybody's tuning in for. But the fact that there were times when I was watching the drama and I felt like I was missing some of the sitcom bits, that is a sign of absolutely exceptional writing. So 10 out of 10. But the other thing I'm going to say, the bit that blew my mind, the super meta bit, this is, this is a spoiler later on in the in the TV series for WandaVision. And it is worth pointing out, WandaVision is a one-off TV series. It's not going to be an episode, a series two, I should say. Nine episodes and done, and that feels right, I think, quite right. However, as I've just, uh, not just said, but I said earlier, Wanda had a brother, Quicksilver, who is killed in Age of Ultron, the movie. And she's talking about the death of her brother at certain points in this show. Also, I am aware that Vision is also dead, but hey, let's not go there and... Like I say, they, they do a brilliant job of explaining all this in the TV show. I'll let you enjoy the journey. But later on in the series, if you don't want to know this, fast forward 
about 30 seconds, or I'll quickly tell you. So Quicksilver turns up again, but it's not the Quicksilver from Age of Ultron, because she can't resurrect the dead, or so she thinks. But what this is, is the Quicksilver from the X-Men movies, and they're not making the X-Men movies anymore. And, and so your mind is blown because this is sort of crossing over these two different genres of, of movies and showing that if they can do it in this TV show, they can probably do it in the movies as well. This is an amazing thing in terms of building the, the further lore, L-O-R-E, of this universe that, that Disney has created for the Marvel TV movies, etc. Okay, so that's all I'll say there. Now, you want some history. You tuned in for some history. I'm going to give you some history. A lot of this is hanging around sitcoms. Now, situation comedy, comedy, the amusing anecdotes of a scenario, that has been around for a very, very long time. Some of the ancient Greek, the ancient Greeks invented theatre round about 500 BC. It was quite different to what we would consider theatre today. Like there was literally a chorus, people would wear masks, although the masks were from the nose up, not from the nose down. So they could shout out, they could you know, orate to the audience and they wouldn't be muffled. But uh, they, they would wear the masks and kind of explain the plot at certain points and people would read out the lines rather than act the lines. But, you know, there were a number of comedies that the Greeks did where the situation was meant to be amusing. So sitcoms go back two and a half thousand years, at least in Europe. However, let's fast forward about two and a half thousand years to the very first sitcom that was ever made. Now, TV was technically invented by a Scottish guy in England before World War II. And the Americans say, oh yeah, but we invented it a few years later and we invented the cathode ray tube TV because the one that was invented in Britain was actually a mechanical TV. But the thing is though, while the cathode ray tube, what do I mean by cathode ray? I mean the big boxy old TVs that you had as a kid, all right? Or, you know, you had before plasma screens and all the LCD screens and all that kind of stuff. The standard TV from the 1950s to the 1990s was the one that was invented in America. But whereas that was undeniably invented in America, the BBC were already broadcasting on this mechanical version of TV before World War II, and indeed it was World War II that interrupted broadcast, and they didn't pick it up until post-war era. Also, if the argument is, well, cathode ray was what the way most people watch TV, well, yeah, but it's not the way we do it anymore either, so it's it's now part of the history of TV, so I think we therefore have to go back to the the British one, which genuinely was broadcasting out to people, probably had a viewership of maybe 20. You had to build your own TV back then. So you had to know what you were doing in terms of electrical engineering. It, it was a very different world. After the war is really when TV slowly started taking off. And it was 1947 when with the Mary Kay and Johnny show, which was a sitcom about a married couple in New York. So, I mean, and ultimately, this is not a million miles away from Friends, which was to sort of come out, I don't know, about 45 years, maybe 50 years later. You could already see how this, this kind of works. Now, the irony was the Mary Kay and Johnny show, a lot of early TV shows had very poor names or very literal names. One from the BBC, one of their first ones was Come and Be Televised, where they asked people who had a special skill to come up, come to the studio where they will be televised. 
I, I, you could say it's a talent show, but I mean, Come and Be Televised has not really continued to be the name of these things. So it's like Britain's Got Talent and all this kind of stuff, yeah? And fun fact there, a very, very young Bruce Forsyth was on that show. So he went from the time of this very early TV up to the period of high def TV before he passed away. But his career was about 70 years old, long, and not many people can say that about TV in terms of having a TV career. So yeah, Mary Kay and Johnny show, starring Mary Kay and Johnny Stearns. So they were literally a married couple playing a married couple in New York. So this is all very literal, but everything that you would expect in a modern sitcom was there. So what do I mean by sitcom in the modern sense? The reason why they're so popular, the reason why there are so many of them is because they're relatively cheap. You have two sets maximum, maybe three sets, but they are literally sets in a studio. And then on the other side, you've got a studio audience. So you can record them laughing at the jokes. If you like, the actors can kind of riff a little bit. They can feel that I, I can do this for a little bit longer because I'm still getting laughs. So it's, it's a really efficient way of producing good quality laughs at a relatively low cost. As soon as you're on location, like you're taking a camera crew out to a forest to do a scene in a, I don't know, a Western or something like that, well, you've got the catering and blah, 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 and it's all gotta be recorded and the sound might be off because there's a waterfall over there. As soon as you're out of the studios, you, you can't control everything, it becomes more expensive. So sitcoms were cheap and easy to churn out the episodes. And Mary Kay and Johnny lasted from 47 to 1950. And there are more than 300 episodes of it, okay? Now, not all of them have survived. The reason why I say that is because it finished in 1950, but I mentioned I Love Lucy. I Love Lucy came out in 1951. So if you like, it was a chance to fill the gap of Mary Kay and Johnny. And I Love Lucy, if you don't know, know it, Lucille Ball. I Love Lucy was very groundbreaking, although it was yet another sitcom. First of all, if you like, the main star was a female comedienne. And that was not a normal thing in the 1950s, still very patriarchal society. You know, the central person is a funny woman rather than the husband. But then the husband was played by Desi Arnaz and he is a Hispanic person. So you've got a person of color, a person who is not just a white guy, who is a figure of authority. So this was a groundbreaking and arguably inclusive, certainly for the times, show. And so I Love Lucy ran from 51 to 57. But then while this was happening, we're getting an explosion of different types of sitcoms. So the Mary Kay and Johnny show, I Love Lucy show is fundamentally about a couple who have to sort of keep up their appearances with hilarious consequences. But while I Love Lucy was running, so from 55 to 59, there's the Phil Silver show, which is something else that I grew up with. Indeed, at university, I had a poster of Mr. Phil Silver's dressed up as his character from the Phil Silver the show because most people call it Sergeant Bilko because he played Sergeant Bilko. Now, interestingly, a lot of these sitcoms became the basis of Hannah and Barbera comics and cartoons. You might have heard of the Flintstones. They are a monumental moment in cartoon animated TV shows. Yeah. 
That was actually based on a sitcom called The Honeymooners, which was huge in America, never really made it over to the UK. And basically, yeah, it, it's Wilma and it's all the trappings of the Flintstones, but it's set in New York in the 1950s. It's a contemporary sitcom. And they didn't have the budget to have Dino the dinosaur and everything like that. Wilma, all that kind of stuff. But yeah, so Fred Flintstone, Wilma Flintstone, Barney Rubble, etc. They're all characters just instantly pulled out of The Honeymooners. But they did it again with Sergeant Bilko. That, for Hannah and Barbera, became Top Cat. So Top Cat, this sort of wisecracking, cheeky guy, always on the edge of the law, is exactly who Sergeant Bilko was, who, as you can guess from his rank, he was basically a, a bit of a con man, hustler type sergeant who was at a base camp and, you know, always trying to outfox the colonel. And you can see how these sitcom things all work together. And so I mentioned Family Ties, but the 60s one is very based on Bewitched, and indeed there's literal references to Bewitched later on in the TV series. That was about a woman who was a witch who would winkle her nose, or it would like go backwards and forwards with a little dingly noise, and she would cast spells. And her husband was an Air Force man, and he was Larry Hagman. So that's JR from Dallas. That was what it was his early break, being kind of like the comedy heartthrob there. So, look, I could go on and on about sitcoms. We all have our favourite ones. Interesting, from the 1980s, one of the biggest ones is Cheers. And I showed my kids Cheers, and they find it funny, but they say, I'm kind of bored of it all being in one place at one time. Because while, yes, all these sitcoms occasionally moved elsewhere, Friends they tended to have more sets. You know, there was the coffee place set and then there was the apartment sets. But, they, you know, invariably they went somewhere, like to the office or something, where in Cheers, sometimes there are entire episodes where apart from the rear of Cheers, that's it. But that's as much space as you can genuinely fit into a studio. So it becomes harder, more difficult to do when you need multiple locations. Because as I said at the beginning, the whole point is to do it in front of a live studio audience to get that feedback and to get that vibe. So what you're getting with WandaVision, going all the way back. Now, I, I, I figure I should shout out, Wanda is played by Elizabeth Olsen, one of the Olsen twins. She does an amazing job, okay? Because Wanda Maximoff has a bit of an accent, which has admittedly faded over the movies and now the TV show. But, you know, she does a great job in this, in this show. And then Paul Bettany plays Vision, and Paul Bettany was the voice of the computer in the original Iron Man in 2008. So he's been on this huge journey. He's been in far more of the movies than most people realize and so the two of them are clearly having a ball in this and if this isn't if you like the a part of the portfolio whoever's involved in this show be it be it set design be it writing be it acting because there are multiple layers for some of these characters as well it is a tour de force for everybody involved everybody should be so proud of it and also i'm going to say disney need to be proud of it because somebody had to turn up and say yeah you know these superheroes that go kapow splat all the time yeah we want to put them in a 1950s sitcom that no child will have seen before and we're going to riff on that for three episodes and somebody said yeah do it it's an incredibly brave choice by Disney. They could have gone a more obvious way, but no, they decided to be really weird and out there, and WandaVision is all the better for it.
That's what I'm going to say, apart from, as always, come on, if you like this one, don't forget to click subscribe, give us a review. It, it helps the algorithm on whatever podcast you're listening to this on. And also, I'm at Jem Daducci on Twitter. Let me know if you like this one. Let me know if you got your own thoughts on WandaVision or whether you completely disagree with everything I've just said. Anyway, I just had to share all that stuff with you. Take care and see you soon. The biggest names in tennis are coming to Paris for the most anticipated Roland Garros in years. Tennis Channel Plus is your place to watch. Stream every court from your phone or smart TV live in HD. Experience three weeks of unparalleled tournament access as the world's top players in tennis face off against each other. Will the veteran champions continue their dominance or will a fresh face emerge to challenge their legacy on the clay courts? Daily live coverage of this epic showdown begins Monday, May 20th. Don't miss a matchup. Stream it now with Tennis Channel Plus to be there when it happens. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well... Hello Fresh is your guilt free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. When it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, and you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance. As America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market. Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com.